Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Oh, God. It was supposed to be warmer. Yeah. It, it, you'll get warmer as you start moving more. Yeah. This. But yeah, it was cold when I left the house. <laughs> It's a chilly March morning, and I've met Aria a few blocks from our houses. We're heading down to our local, collectively local police, what is it called, division? 55 division. 55 division. I've emailed, I've called in, but I was told that I have to create my own report. So that's what we're doing. I'm glad you're here with me because a few of the other women talked about some negative experiences they had in sharing this story to the police that they were made fun of. One of them ended up in tears. So I hope you brought Kleenex and I'm glad you're with me for that, for that support. Cause um, I mean, it's, this isn't a system I'm familiar with. I'm not a person who. In the months after Aria had found out that Mark had been a total fraud, she felt kind of lost, angry, unsteady, lots of self-doubt. I mean, she'd been conned by this guy twice. How are you feeling? A little nervous, for sure. Um, I'm feeling like on one hand, should I be more calm or should I need to tap into some bigger emotions to, to bring attention to the story? I don't know. I don't know. I think you have to just do what feels right. Like, I'm actually wondering even what's the first thing I'm going to say. Like, I'm here to report what I believe was sexual abuse. Okay, here we go. Let's go. Okay. The police station is pretty tiny, like the size of a small kindergarten classroom. And there's only one other person here with us, a woman who's hurt her leg. It's kind of hard to tell if she's there to lodge a complaint or if she's in some kind of trouble. We register at the front desk and are directed to sit and wait. I feel conspicuous sitting here with my long mic and big headphones. Hi there, thank you for your patience, come on in. Hi, I'm Kathleen, we're doing a story on this whole situation. Sure, no, no, come on. We're brought into an even smaller space off the side of the waiting room. And waiting for us is a female officer. Um, let me check any recording devices. I will ask you to step out so I can speak to my supervisor. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I was unaware that this was happening. I can also turn it off right now. It's okay. If you, if you don't mind stepping out, thank you. There are a few back and forths, a couple of calls, and I keep offering to turn off my device. Aria didn't necessarily want this session recorded. She just wanted support while talking to the cops. Okay, bye. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good. You're good to join this lady? Yes. You can't record anything. Totally fine. I'm Kathleen Goltar, 
and this is Do You Know Mordecai? Chapter 4, The Yurt Sisters I did turn off my recorder, but I was allowed to stay with Aria for the interview. She tells the whole story, how she met Mark, what he told her, how he lied about his name and his occupation, about where he was from, and how in the end, Aria didn't know who this man was. And the officer appeared sympathetic. You could tell by the way she was looking at Arya that she understood why Arya felt so violated. But you could also see where this was going. The officer kept asking if Mark ever took any money, if he ever forced himself on her. Eventually, Arya is told her information is going to be sent to a detective. She's given a case number and told to follow up. Ever since Arya first discovered the other women that Mark had conned, they'd been asking themselves, if Mark had lied to them about pretty much everything, could they really have consented to an intimate relationship? Over the years, laws about consent have evolved, but there's still controversy over where the line should be drawn. How much do you really need to know about someone? And what if what you do know about that person is all a lie? the women believed that they'd been tricked into having sex with Mark. The hope was prosecutors would see that too. I guess that's what this is all about, is trying to figure out where the law actually is landing around these kinds of situations and pushing it. As we left the station, the cold air felt good this time. I feel tired. I got emotional which I wasn't expecting. Like, the, what triggered me, my emotions, was having that male police sergeant come in and... I'm sure it wasn't his intention, but he was really kind of flippant about why you, Kathleen, couldn't be in the room with your recording device and was trying to explain what that was about and also explaining what was going to happen he was just really coming from where he was at, and I'm just really tired of men doing that right now. I'm just, that's exhausting too, is having to sit there and listen and smile or be polite. And I really, like part of me just wanted to say to him like, I get it, it's fine. Can we just move on? Can we just like deal with my situation? Are you glad you came in? I'm glad I came. Yeah, I'm glad I came. I have a file number now. I have, um, I feel like I've done my part on that. Um, I feel like I wasn't dismissed. I feel like she acknowledged the nuance, the complexity of the case that it's... Um, and the pain it caused, which yeah. actually was nice to hear. Yeah. So, there was a police report now. And a detective had been sympathetic. Aria felt she did her part but she wasn't optimistic it would go any further. As a feminist lawyer who has been in the sector for many years and where I see continuously women um, 
facing challenges with the, with the cops. Deepa Mattu is the executive director of the Barba Schleifer Clinic in Toronto. It's a legal clinic run by and for women. She says the criminal justice system in Canada still doesn't truly understand violence against women. At the end of the day, the law is only as good as the people who are applying that law. At the end of the day, it is very clear if someone says yes, then it's yes to a sexual activity. And if someone says no, it's no. But when it comes to Mark Ramsden and the women he conned, it's not that straightforward. Consent is not validly obtained when it is a result of fraud. So fraud has been well established as a cause for um, for this consent to be taken back or vitiated. Why do police officers not understand it or why do cops do not get it in scenarios like this? Because uh, they are looking at the the act alone in its isolation. They're looking at, a, at the sexual activity in itself, a vacuum activity, and they're not looking at the circumstances around it. So how do we change that? Is education, awareness, training, and also for survivors to think about what other options do they have. In other words, the criminal justice system is slow to evolve. So Deepa says women can look elsewhere, places like a human rights commission, and argue that the police are discriminating against them on the basis of their gender. If I have to make a comparison, um, sexual assault in the marriage was similarly trivialized and similarly not seen as sexual assault for the longest time. Um, when an immigrant or a migrant woman comes and says, I have been forced in a relationship and in that forced relationship, I'm experiencing assault, it's not understood to be sexual assault. So the misogyny which is built into our system is not necessarily is isolated to this situation. You, we can look at this case and make a comparison with many other situations that women experience. Yeah, so it's like a bit of a continuum. And now, like now, I think every cop is comfortable with the idea that a husband can rape a wife. Mm -hmm. um, that seems easy to accept these days. And I know it wasn't very long ago that it wasn't. So I guess consent does, gr our idea of consent does broaden and grow as our understanding of the way we are with each other changes as well. Absolutely. Especially today, when so many of us date and meet online. It's easier than it ever was to trick people, to hide our true selves. It's not only if he's posing to be this rich guy, or this artistic guy, or this guy with connections and resources. It could be anything else. It could be, um, you know, that, you know, I, I poor little me, I, I... I'm having really rough time in my marriage. Uh, poor little me, I am such a saint. It could be any of those scenarios where people are uh, are actually um, faking their identities uh, to lure women or to convince them to have sex with them. And all of those situations need to be taken seriously in this digital age. The question for me is, where's the line between the little lies that we tell to impress someone or even to cheat on someone, and criminal behavior. You can't give consent if there's fraud. The issue is, what constitutes fraud? Lying about how much money you make? Who your parents were? 
Is that a crime? Are we heading down a slippery slope? These are situations which are complex and layered, and and it's not necessarily uh, as straightforward. In this case, it's a fraud, and in this case, it's not. But what I see, the facts of a situation need to be looked into on a client-centric basis, which is how is the survivor, how are they uh, experiencing it, and how what uh, what is their story that they are telling. Aria wasn't the only woman to go to the police about Mark. In fact, five of them have filed reports. And everyone got the same answer. This is not a crime. The police wouldn't be able to do anything to stop Mark. So the women decided, if the law can't help, they're going to try and stop Mark on their own. They started to meet regularly and became amateur sleuths. They even gave themselves a name when they figured out that amid all the complicated, confounding, conflicting lies that Mark told, he seemed to always repeat one promise, a trip to California. We would come to visit him on the ranch. He had this idea, and he would build us each a yurt on the ranch, so we were all yurt sisters. The yurt sisters began by monitoring as many dating apps as they could. And when they found Mark on one, they alerted the company, often getting his profile pulled. And as they dug deeper, they discovered more of his lies, including this little gem. Number 50 Old Colony Road is a now infamous home near Bayview and York Mills. It's where Barry and Honey Sherman were found murdered in December 2017. This is from a March 7, 2019 global news story in Toronto. She would also like to see the home torn down soon, as do others who live on the streets. Mark is being interviewed about a grisly murder that took place on the bridal path, the super wealthy area where he told the women that he lived. It's kind of a um, a ghostly reminder of something that happened. I didn't personally know them, but um, it's kind of been an eerie presence uh, in the neighborhood. And there he is, identified as Mordecai Horowitz's local resident, talking about how hard it is to see that house every day, knowing what went on inside. This is all bullshit. As us Jews would say, that takes serious chutzpah. I'm David Kushner, and this is my brother John. Growing up in Florida in the early 70s, kids were free to run around for hours outside. No plans, no cell phones, just a promise to be home before dark. When John was 11 and I was four, he biked away from our house, through the woods, to a store nearby. He was going to buy me my favorite candy, a little plastic alligator head filled with chewing gum. He pedaled off into the woods, but he never came back. I've been a journalist for decades, but the story I've chased the longest is about my brother John, the story of what happened to him. I think the worst thing of the worst is that you never would find the person. On one hand, I desperately wanted to find something, and on the other hand, I was absolutely terrified of finding something. And the story of what happened to our family and our town after he disappeared. 
a little boy simply goes from his house through some woods to go to get some candy at the 7-Eleven and never comes back. That is every parent's essential nightmare. When you realize that anything can happen, anytime, anywhere, how do you go on? I just wanted to talk with other people who've gone through it. I felt isolated and on Mars. I believe now, looking back, it was absolutely to try to find some answers. And here I am searching for some kind of answer. And how the hell do you continue? This is Alligator Candy. Coming this May, a new podcast from UCP Audio and Transmitter Media. Follow and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The Yurt sisters were now on a mission to tell as many people as they could about Mark and his lies. They created a website where they posted pictures and a list of his aliases. So no matter which of his names that you searched, you'd find their page. The Yurt sisters were sure there were more victims out there. And there were. Okay, so I'm going to call. I'm going to set up on my WhatsApp. Up to this point, all of Mark's victims had been women. But one day, they got a message from a man. Um, and you've asked me to reach out first, right? Right. Why do you guys want us to sort of reach out before you guys? Um, well, just because of the fear that if it is either someone working for Mark or actually Mark, that he's trying to find out who owns this website that has been created. And um, and I guess also, like, I don't personally, and neither do the other women, want to actually see him. Like, if you dial up and there's his face, like, I might throw up right there. Really. Um, just, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's a tricky thing and to feel like this person sitting there but like right off camera is Mark prompting him um, I, just, I don't know it just feels really gross yeah so it's just the first contact yeah the number you have dialed cannot accept this call please hang up and try again later at first we couldn't get through but finally we connected hey we really thought that Mark had sent this guy to see who was behind the website. So we quizzed him. Aria was sitting beside me, writing out notes and whispering things. But his story held up. He wasn't sent by Mark. He had also been conned by him. This guy didn't want to take part in the podcast, so I can't say much about what he told us. What I can say is that it wasn't a romantic relationship. And he did think Mark's name was Mordecai and that he was a storyboard artist from California. It was nice talking to you, too.
So now the Earth Sisters knew that not all of Mark's victims were women, nor was it always about sex. Who else was out there? They started to compare stories that Mark had told them to see if together they could find others. And there was one. Mark had told them all about a good female friend in Toronto. I just went into LinkedIn and started typing in her name. She was a single mom and a grad student at the University of Toronto. They'd all seen her picture. And as soon as I started typing her name, LinkedIn gave me suggestions, and she was one of them. And the reason we knew that was because he always, like, he was so about sending pictures, right? Like, overabundance of pictures. So right away, we knew that he'd had some kind of contact with this person, and we needed to reach out to her as well. Hi... I think we have an acquaintance in common. I just wanted to... The way that it all came out was um, one weekend had gotten a LinkedIn request. And as soon as I connect, she started saying, can I talk to you? And I'm like, who are you? (laughs) And uh, then she said something about, um, she thinks that that there's a man that I know that has been very dishonest and, and... is, um, you know, being untruthful in in relationships and everything. And then I was like, well, who is it? And then she wrote Mark or Mordecai. And I was like, oh. And from that, the crack team found me. (laughs) This is someone we're calling Sarah. Sarah met Mordecai in September 2017 nearly two years before he would find my friend Aria. I was coming out of um, my divorce and um, did a lot of healing and then started online dating because I never had dated very much. And Mordecai was one of the first men that I met and, and really connected with. Their first date was a walk through the city. He was listed as Mark on the app, and then he explained that he goes by Mordecai as his Jewish name. He's very Jewish in all of everything that he does, so he goes by Mordecai. Mordecai went on to tell Sarah that he dabbled in art, had a bachelor's degree from Cornell, and a master's degree from the University of British Columbia. And he had started a PhD in Santa Barbara. Sarah told me she really liked Mark, that he intrigued her. But romantically, she just wasn't into him. So they became friends, good ones. He always just had these kind of crazy off-the-wall stories that had a ton of detail. He was a special ops agent for me, and he was on secret covert missions to Bosnia. And so he had his hero complex, and um, he was super idealistic. And so he had enlisted, and while he was in basic training, he got tapped to move into um, the special ops program. And then um, he was overseeing Navy SEALs in Bosnia while they were trying to stop the genocides. And um, ended up having intense PTSD from that. And he was just now being able to start talk about it because the like the the files were being de- declassified because it had been enough time. So, so it was he's very, still in the army. 
No, he, he was a deserter because it was too much. He got overwhelmed and frustrated with the, the lack of support that they were getting from this undercover op. They didn't have enough manpower to really do the job properly. And um, he had stories of going through kind of burnt out industrial areas and like falling into a vat of chemicals and got stuck there until somebody came and rescued him. And that was why he had skin reactions and allergies to things. And he got shot through the shoulder and was nearly dead and they airlifted him out. And In Bosnia? Yeah. And he had all of the uh, reconstruction and everything. I think he went to Germany to a hospital there. Then he got back on the field and then he ended up deserting. He kind of left his post. Mordecai told Sarah the same stories he told everyone, that he was an artist, that he lived on a ranch, and that he was rich. Like hundreds of millions of dollars worth of wealth. And of course, that he was from California. It had become kind of a touch point throughout the entire two and a half years. And during the times that Mordecai said he was in California, he would send Sarah lots of pictures of his ranch, the horses, the plants, and tell her about everyone there, especially about the woman that we're calling Justine. To others, Mark said that Justine was his ex-wife or his dead wife. To Sarah, Mark said Justine was his childhood sweetheart and his one true love. And Sarah said it was clear that Mordecai was obsessed with her. He texted me all of this in, in incredible uh, detail. He'd send me places, pictures of the places they went to dinner. He would send me videos that he took of them having a stroll through the neighborhood. Today we know that these videos would have been from his one trip to California that he took when he visited Justine. But Sarah thought Mordecai was sending them in real time. He must have documented the whole experience. Every woman I've talked to has told me about the near-constant barrage of pictures and videos that Mark would send. Many of the women got the same picture, but at different times. And he'd always make it seem as though he had just snapped them. There were so many pictures and so many women and so many stories. How did he remember what he'd sent and to whom? If it wasn't so diabolical, I'd be impressed. When Sarah showed me her phone, there were 498 pictures from Mordecai on it. And that was just her old phone. So I've got more pictures on my current phone, and I've got more pictures on my, um, more pictures on WhatsApp. Mordecai also connected Sarah with his friends on his fake ranch, including a friend named Michael. So Mordecai and Michael were best friends um, from, like, the age of nine. Mordecai kept saying, like, I think you would really match well with my friend. I think you'd be a great pair together. Like, this, this could be really great for all of you. So then he said that he had come back to Toronto and um, Michael had come back as well. And so then I started texting with Michael. So we texted for, it was a really, really intense texting relationship. And we shared a whole lot about each other and had developed a really meaningful connection. But despite Michael apparently being in Toronto, the two never managed to meet. He basically got mono at one point and was super sick, and then he had 
some tests to do, and then he ended up with some kind of a kidney thing, and then he had to get back to L.A. And Did you see pictures of Michael? Yeah. He sent me pictures of him. We would always make plans, and then things would fall through, and this wouldn't happen. And, then and eventually, Michael kind of just disappeared. Michael was working for Disney um, and was just promoted on to um, a director position for one of the upcoming Disney movies. Um, the animation movies. So basically, he got sucked up with work and was living off of the ranch and everything. And I just kind of never had contact with him anymore. And I would ask, and then I would just get, oh, yeah. And through it all, Mordecai remained a constant presence in her life. And Sarah grew to rely on their friendship. That act of him being there for me really kind of cemented him as a very close and reliable friend. Sarah introduced Mordecai to her daughter. He even gave Sarah dating advice. He would kind of keep tabs on the men that I was attracted to and and also kind of point out where their flaws were and how things wouldn't work with this one or that one. And Sarah was there for Mordecai. He would just kind of have off days and not feel right. And then... Um, there was uh, several months where he was in Toronto and um, kept complaining about headaches and kept kind of making a big production about being disoriented. And he came over for dinner and then just like out of the, out of the blue, just all of a sudden, oh, my head, my head. And like, he was like, I need juice. I need some quick sugar. And I'm like, well, I've got a pear. And so he ate the pear and he's like, oh, okay, that's better. And then um, he finally got back to L.A. and was into a doctor right away there. And they did blood tests and everything. And he's like, it's cancer. And I was absolutely devastated. Like, there was several weeks where I was just, like, everything in my life was dampened. And I was so crushed that I could lose my best friend. And then he ended up getting tests and imaging and all this kind of stuff. And he had this cancer that was growing between his brain and his eye. And it was all spindly. And it was one of those really hard-to-treat ones. Did he send you pictures? Or what did he send you to show you all this stuff? Um, I think most of it was texting. Yeah, I remember he said that he was going to try and get, um, like, a copy of the uh, one of the scans or something. And he never, like, I never saw any of that. Um... And so I was just heartbroken. But through the miracle of modern science, Mordecai said he was slowly getting better. The chemo stuff was working, and they managed to get the tumor down 30%, and they were, he was waiting to see if there was going to be surgery. And there was always these kind of tender hooks of, like, how is this happening? Are you going to be okay? Yes, it seemed Mordecai would live. He was healthy enough to come back to Toronto and would continue his treatments in Canada. For a year and a half, Sarah and Mordecai continued on with their friendship. He'd have energy some days, and other days his treatments made it impossible for him to carry through with plans. And Sarah, she didn't doubt a word of it. Until the day that she opened that LinkedIn message and found out that everything she believed about her best friend was a lie. There was, there was a stage where I just had so much cognitive dissonance that I couldn't cope with it. 
because the entire reality that is Mordecai, I was in it. I was there. And now I'm relearning everything and, and understanding the different stories that everybody got and everything, but also just learning real facts. I am struck by the similarities of all you guys. Does that occur to you? Like physically or? A little bit physically, but uh, you're all incredibly smart. A lot of you are single mothers. I see what he sees in you guys. Mm -hmm. You're all impressive (laughs) women. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, he's picking a type. Mm -hmm. Also progressive women, because I think you need to have the heart and the empathy to go along with all of his stories because he has a lot of stories, mm-hmm. a lot of needs. Yeah. And it's that goodness that we all love about them that he also... Exploited. Yeah. Yeah, we've joked in the group about how he's, he's got fantastic taste. <laughs> he does. It was through the Yurt Sisters that Sarah found out that Michael, the person that she thought she'd been falling in love with, was not real. It was Mark on the other end of all those texts, just using a different phone number to hide his real identity. It's, it has been so hard. Um, I was in physical shock for several days, and, um, and then I would just go through phases of being completely numb. And um, I'm trying to finish my degree. <laughs> <laughs> I had to rewrite an article for publication. I'm writing my dissertation. I've got my daughter, and and she needs my attention as well. And all of this is happening at the same time. And at the moments where I'm alone, it's just a whole range of emotions and anger and frustration and betrayal and also a mourning because my best friend was gone. And so there's been weeks of just kind of sitting with emotions and, and then just also kind of taking brain breaks and being numb and vacationing, kind of like, I can't handle this anymore. It's so mean. It is. It is. There's layers of it that I only just realize like it just keeps unraveling and becoming more horrific Mark tried to stay in touch with Sarah even reaching out when some of the other women were contacting him to say that they now knew the truth he was hitting this phase where you know things were coming apart and he was looking for me to to kind of help with that. And um, then I sent him a text saying, I am no longer interested in pursuing this relationship. Do not contact me or my daughter. Do not want to hear from you again. And, and then I've blocked him since, and I haven't heard from him. It's funny, of all the interviews that I did for this podcast and all the women that I talked to, this story makes me the most sad. I've had such a hard time understanding why Mark did this to Sarah. With all the other women, there was a relationship. There was sex, sometimes a lot of sex. But with Sarah, 
It was different. It was a friendship. Why would Mark lie so completely to somebody who was his friend, who would give him support and love, who only wanted the best for him? Mark also befriended that guy who reached out after finding the Yurt sisters' website. They met during COVID, when Mark would have had a very hard time meeting women with all the lockdowns and precautions. So he found somebody who didn't offer the prospect of sex, but could still fill some kind of void. I went back and asked Ari about this. It just seems like Mark has so little self-esteem that he's prepared to lie to and con anyone just to feel more human. Or, I mean, not that he's not a human being, but like, he just wants validation around this false identity because he hates himself so much. And so I think Sarah provided that to him and also like, because she trusted him so much for so long that he was able to do really nasty, nefarious, awful things to her that it's just like, it's, yeah, it's mind-blowing. I'm angry at Mark for what he did to Sarah, for what he did to all the women. And by the way, there are 10 members of the Earth Sisters so far. But he's also kind of pathetic. And as much as I don't like to say it, I'm wondering, do I sort of feel sorry for him? Next time on Do You Know Mordecai. Do you think emailing him is the best way? I think it's better than cold calling. I think so, too. I think we should give him a chance to know this is happening and to sort of absorb it a little bit. I just think it's more fair. Yeah. Come in. Good morning. Hey, Mark, Kathleen. This podcast was written and produced by me, Kathleen Goldhar, and Michelle Shepard. Our executive producer is Stuart Cox. Our associate producer is Alexis Green, with assistance from Abhi Raheja and Danya Ali. Sound design and mixing by Mitchell Stewart. Our theme song is created by Quiet Type. This is a UCP Audio podcast in collaboration with Antica Productions. Our UCP Audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Jennifer Sears, Josh Block, and Amy Bell. For more information, go to our website at ucpaudio.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. 
New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.